Bible study here before we go into our Lord's Supper service. So if everybody will, um, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 2. And uh, we'll actually start in about verse 12. But let me give you a brief uh, kind of summary, give you a little context of where we've been. Uh, leading up to this point, and I think that'll help us better understand what we'll look at this morning, okay? So <clears throat> the first part of Romans 2, if we, we looked at the first 11 verses in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, and uh, <clears throat> if your Bible has the titles over the, the different sections, um, mine was titled God's Righteous Judgment, and that's kind of the theme of this segment, um, God's Judgment Upon All Sin. So we have a, a portion where we see a rebuke of the Jews judging the Gentiles uh, while ignoring their own sin. Okay, so he's just um, <coughs> confronted the Jews about this. And then in verse 11, or in verse 6, I'm sorry, we'll see that God says he will render to each one according to his works. And then in verse 11 says he will judge sin without partiality. Um, the Jews had a tendency to think they were entitled to uh, salvation ultimately, but a right standing before God because of who uh, who their great grandfather was. You know, they were descendants of Abraham. Uh, they were recipients of God's covenant of the law and uh, the promises, and <clears throat> so they would assume themselves in a good standing before the Lord based upon these things. And that's Paul's rebuke of them, judging the Gentiles for their sin while ignoring their own. Okay, so that's kind of the first half of verse, uh, I'm sorry, of uh, chapter 2. And we will pick up at that point uh, in verse 12, okay, looking through the rest of the chapter here. Um, verse 12, it says, if, and y'all just read along with me if you will. It says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Um, honestly, and we could probably start that in verse 11, where he says, for God shows no partiality, right? For all who have sinned will be judged. That's the point of this this. Uh, portion of text here um, all who have sinned will be judged or will perish as it says with or without the law um, we're guilty of both and he's going to address Gentiles and Jews separately in this in this section here so <clears throat> if we look at um, before we start in verse 14 continuing here uh, he's going to really begin by addressing the Gentiles position first okay uh, they would have a tendency or a, an excuse, if you will, to plead ignorance, right? Because they're Gentiles, they do not have the law. They were not descendants of Abraham. They didn't receive um, the commandments through Moses, um, these things. And so this is what he begins to address first as he looks at the Gentiles. So if we look in verse 14, I'm going to read the next couple of verses here. Uh, it says, for Gentiles, for when Gentiles, excuse me, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse 
or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, again, if we look at the Gentile excuse, you know, of ignorance, we didn't have the law. You know, we're not descendants of Abraham. We didn't receive this. Um, <clears throat> you know, how are we supposed to know, basically, is the idea here. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, um, about how every people group in the world has some form of law, right? Some form of code, some form of right or wrong. Um, we were throwing around some ideas, you know, kind of thinking what are some of the most, you know, wicked groups of people that we could imagine, um, pagan groups. And we even discussed, like, uh, if you think about cannibal tribes, like some of the things that comes to mind and how wicked some of the practices they may have, even those people would have a law, a code, um, of conduct amongst themselves. You know, what, whether it may be okay for them to kill outsiders, uh, you don't do it within the, within the uh, tribe, you know. And, and so that's just an extreme example of this, but what we, what we see here is the evidence of what Paul describes later in this, or in this section that we just read, that even though it is certainly incomplete, right, and certainly a flawed view of this, all of us, all people, Gentiles included, have um, at least traces of the law. The Bible says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, right? Um, people who do not have access to the scriptures, who do not have access to the, the, the law of Moses, they have an understanding of right and wrong to some degree. Now, there's differences in between that, right? Uh, we know that that is very broken, and incomplete without the scriptures, but we see the remnants of what we know as the Imago Dei there, of the image of God being imprinted upon people, God's creation. So the whole point here, I don't know what I'm hitting here, sorry. <laughs> the whole point here um, is that their Gentiles are without excuse. Like even though you don't have the full scriptures, uh, you don't have the law, you don't even keep the right and wrong that you know to keep, okay? You're still guilty. Um, <clears throat> you're not innocent. They show, again, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, and their judgment is just um, because they have some understanding of it. So now we move to the next section where he's really going to spend some time addressing the Jews here. We know the Jews are certainly not exempt from the law, um, or I'm sorry, from judgment, because they, unlike the Gentiles, they do have the law. Um, and in fact, they have a greater accountability to it because they have a greater knowledge of what God expects and what righteousness is. Um, <clears throat> and he begins this introduction, if you look in verse 13, he says, for the hearers, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous, but the doers of the law who will be, who will be justified. And so he's referencing them just because you've heard the law, right? Just because you know it, knowing it or hearing it doesn't make you righteous. You have to, you have to obey it. You have to follow it. And so we will get more into that in this next section, okay? So if we'll pick up in verse 17, uh, <clears throat> we're looking at kind of 17 through 24 here. Uh, and y'all just follow along with me, if you will. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God 
and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay. So, <clears throat> beginning this section, he again, he tells them, he says, you know, you're a, you call yourself or you consider yourself a, a guide to the blind, you know, a light to those who are in darkness. You're an instructor. You're a teacher. You're all these things. Um, and ultimately, you call yourself a Jew, you know, and they took pride in that. They took, um, that was a, a, a great honor, a blessing, a sense of entitlement, if you will. But he said, ultimately, you call yourself a Jew. And I think the biggest thing that I would say we need to understand from this verse is you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law. Okay. Uh, you boast in God. You rely on having it. That's where you're ultimately where your hope is. You call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. And yet, as we see in the remainder of this section, you're guilty of sin. Okay, you're guilty of not following the law in which you rely upon. Um, even even to the point that he says um, you dishonor God. You dishonor the God you boast in by breaking the law. And even worse, God's name has been blasphemed among unbelievers because of, because of you, because of your hypocrisy, right? Um, they would assume themselves holy or entitled, again, by right. And I don't mean to, to you know, reiterate that point too much. Um, but that's what he's addressing here. They, because of their knowledge... Um, and what they had, they rested in that and they relied upon that all the while ignoring the fact that they did not keep it. Okay. So <clears throat> moving forward, he's the next uh, section that we'll look at, starting in verse 25, he's really going to dig a little bit deeper into what the law is, um, what it is, what the purpose of it, the intent. And um, I think it will help us understand this a little bit better. So in verse uh, 29, or I'm sorry, 25, if y'all will uh, follow with me here. He says, for circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. And pause for a second here. Uh, just to reiterate that point, that was simply the sign of the covenant, right? That was the outward sign of the law that God had set the people aside and said, I'm giving you my covenant. If you keep my laws, you know, I'll bless you. We got, we got the Abraham covenant uh, represented here. But that was the outward picture of the law. Okay, so keep that in mind as we're reading through this. Um, he said, it is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then, who he, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you to have who have the written code 
and circumcision, but break the law. That's a mouthful and a half right there. Uh, it makes me think about where Peter addresses Paul's writing, I think in Second Peter, and it's like Peter's or Paul's writings are hard to understand sometimes. So everybody got all that, right? And crystal clear. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about that for just a second. Or I'm sorry, let me finish the passage here. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but is from God. So again, we see all the, the discussion of the sign of the covenant here that was given to Abraham and his descendants. The people who received the law, received the promises of God. These are the Jews. Um, but what we see in this section here is that having the sign of the covenant, okay, or having possession of the covenant or possession of the law is not the same thing as keeping it, okay? Uh, simply because you have knowledge of it, um, that's not equivalent of fulfilling the covenant. You have, that doesn't grant you the righteousness. And he says um, later, if you were to kind of summarize this, Paul basically just says that having the sign of the covenant is great and it's profitable, as he says, um, it's of value if you keep the law. You know, having the law is valuable to you if you keep it. Okay, Having the sign of the covenant is valuable to you if you if you are truly righteous, um, and if you rely on the law, we'll come back to the Jews, you know, if you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law, and that's what you, you trust in, then you're bound to keep it. If you rely on the law for your righteousness, you have to fulfill it. You have to be perfectly righteous. You have to keep the, the law. You have to be blameless, okay? Um, problem, right? <laughs> Everybody uh, see that? So there's a uh, <clears throat> there's a, a note out of Calvin's commentary. I'll read here. It just says, "If righteousness be sought from the law, the law must be fulfilled, for the righteousness of the law consists in the perfection of its works." And he then again says, "Now we do not deny, but that perfect righteousness is prescribed in the law." Okay, that is the picture of what righteousness is. All the commands that God given has given, uh, this is what it means to walk blamelessly before the Lord. But as all are convicts of transgression, we say that another righteousness must be sought. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> so let's finish here. We've got two, two verses left in, in this chapter, okay, 28 and 29. So I'll read with me and we'll finish up here in just a minute. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. And I'm going to read this uh, paragraph out of Matthew Henry's commentary as well. <clears throat> it is kind of wordy, but y'all just bear with me here for a second. It says, No forms or ordinances or notions can profit without regenerating grace, which will always lead to seeking an interest in the righteousness of God by faith. For he is no more a Christian now 
then he was really a Jew of old, who is only one outwardly. Neither is that baptism which is outward in the flesh, but he is the real Christian who is an inwardly a true believer with an obedient faith. And the true baptism is that of the heart by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost, bringing a spiritual frame of mind and a willing following of truth in its holy ways. Let us pray that we be made real Christians, not outwardly, but inwardly, and the heart, in the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, baptized not only with water, but with the Holy Ghost. And let our praise be not of men, but of God. Okay. Um, the main point here, guys, uh, God judges sin, right? We see this uh, throughout this passage, whether you're a Gentile and you do not possess uh, the scriptures, the law, uh, you are guilty of even the right and wrong that you know, and certainly those of the Jews and, and us included who have this information, um, we're certainly guilty because we even know more of the picture of what righteousness is, what God has given us. Um, God judges sin. He judges it, period, without partiality, as we read in the very beginning of this text. Um, and we know that all have sinned and have not kept the covenant. So if we, uh, if we spend just a minute here to kind of think application here, so, you know, reflect on ourselves and what this means to us, um, obviously we can't plead ignorance like the Gentiles. Um, we have the scriptures. We have possession of the law. Um, we're studying it right now, right? Um, we're aware of those things. Uh, do we, if we think about the Jews, do we more closely parallel the Jews? Do we have a tendency or a, um, a feeling to count ourselves as, as righteous or as justified or as okay because we're aware of these things. We grew up in the Bible Belt or, you know, heck, we're all sitting in church right now, right? We're in church on Sunday mornings. We're church members. We're church attenders. Um, if we think about the sign of the covenant, the sign of the new covenant is baptism. Do we rest in that outward sign that, hey, I was baptized, right? Um, I have the outward sign of a, a believer, a Jew, okay? Um, is that what we rely on? Is that what we, we boast in? Um, if we call ourselves a Christian, okay, and I'm going to kind of parallel in this with the passage we read earlier about the Jews. Not if we call ourselves a Jew, but if we call ourselves a Christian, but we rely on the law, we rely on our goodness. We rely on thinking that we are, you know, good people, law keepers, right? Um, if we boast in knowing who God is, knowing about him, being church attenders, teaching Sunday school, whatever that may be, um, if we rely on those things, if we rely on the law, ultimately we have to keep the law, okay? If that's our righteousness, it better be perfect. That's the message of this text. So, as I studied this, and again, I mean, I don't have, um, I'm no different than anyone else in here. I don't have anything to, to offer you guys. Uh, I am simply 
my desire is simply to understand the scriptures myself and see what the Lord would have have me understand, have, what he would teach me, and then hopefully to share that same thing with my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. Um, <clears throat> what do we what do we rely on? Like, where is our rest? Where is our hope? Like, do we hope and rest in the fact that of all these works that we just we've discussed, do we rest in the fact that we're here on church on in church in a church gathering, shall we say, on a uh, Sunday morning, or do we rest in the fact that hey, I was baptized or I grew up um, a child of of believers? Um, again, if we rest in those things, if we we're ultimately resting in works, we're resting in the law. We have to be blameless, okay. And I don't know about you guys, but for me that's a problem um, because I'm not blameless. I haven't kept the law, and I'm pretty sure none of us have either. Uh, we could go through the first couple chapters of Romans, and it, it would pronounce guilt upon us all. Um, so ultimately, to finish up here, um, if we are um, guilty before God, if we are not blameless we have the law we have not kept the law we don't have we've lost the righteousness right we've lost that um, another righteousness is needed okay um, and so we're going to go through this in a few minutes and we we know this that the righteousness that we if we possess the righteousness that we possess and the righteousness that we place our trust in is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, okay? And in the next chapter of Romans, and I'm going to kind of summarize up and finish with this, in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So I hope this morning that we're reminded of our true, um, our true state of our sin um, that we are all guilty of, no matter what, uh, where we come from, who you're descending from, what you know, what you don't know. Um, we are in need of another's righteousness, okay? And the righteousness that we claim as Christians, as believers, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ who was born and lived perfectly righteous, okay? He fulfilled that law that the prophets, um, they bear, bore witness as we just read. He fulfilled it completely. He walked blamelessly. And then he took the judgment of our guilt on our behalf so that he could trade us his righteousness for our guilt. Okay, and that's the message of the gospel. Um, and we're going to, in just, a, in just a minute, we're going to sing another song. We're going to actually sing about this. Um, and we're going to lead into the Lord's Supper. And I just pray that as we sing this song, that um, we would think about these things. We would reflect upon our need um, and God's sufficient uh, supply of meeting our need. And then <clears throat> the goodness of God um, and offering it to us. And, and ultimately the price he had to pay to accomplish that work. And that's what we will do as we 
as we take the Lord's Supper, we remember those things. We remember the cost um, that had to be paid for us to obtain the righteousness of Jesus. Okay? So um, let's pray real quick, and we'll, we're going to sing together, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, I thank you that you were righteous, you are righteous, and that you made a way for us to be righteous again. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you and that we would rely on you above, uh, really beyond all else. There's no other hope that we have other than you. Help us to remember that. Um, help us to worship you now as we sing and as we remember the sacrifice you made for, for us on our behalf, Lord. We love you. Help us to love you more. And I pray that you would produce that obedient faith in us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A little bit different time of invitation this morning. Um, there won't be anybody down front uh, necessarily. Just a, really a time of uh, reflection on the message and just a, a time of preparing your heart for the Lord's Supper um, as we sing. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to let you sit um, this morning. If, if you'd like to sing, please do that. If you'd like to just close your eyes in prayer and just prepare your heart, please do that. Just however the Lord leads you now. Just worship and prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. Bye. 
to you today. God, remembering that our, our freedom, God, from sin did not come without a cost. God, that your wounds and your pain, God, paid the price for our sins. And it's through you that we have everlasting life. God, just prepare our hearts now to worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Shane, and praise team. I don't know of a better song to start the Lord's Supper with than that. How great the Father's love. And just to magnify what Nick said, uh, and I appreciate Brother Nick for bringing the word to us today. The righteousness we need is the righteousness of God found in Jesus Christ. And I'll amplify the verse he read to again. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus, as we know, is the way. He prepared the way. And as we prepare for the supper, we are unworthy. But he is worthy of what he's done for us. And by doing the Lord's Supper, we remember that from now until he comes. We practice this as we do this with those before us, generations before us, all the way until the so Jesus himself initiated it with his disciples in the upper room. And to have faith in Jesus is to love him and to obey him. And to obey him, the Lord's Supper is one of the two ordinances of the church. And by obedience, that is what we do today. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby Christians, through the partaking of the bread and the fruit of the wine, commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, his living presence among us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and anticipate in his second coming. We welcome all who have been born again and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are in good standing with our local church to participate with us today in the supper. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, we invite you to abstain from taking the supper with us today and use this time to reflect on the life and claims of Jesus Christ. As you've entered, you should have got a cup like this. If you do not have a cup like this, raise your hand and our deacons will pass it out, pass one out. And if you've not, uh, I'll wait till everybody gets one. Don't see any one, one up front. Miss Judy. everybody 
Okay. If you're new to this, uh, you flip the tab up. The little clear wrapper should come up. And you take the clear wrapper up and you have your wafer. Uh, so just kind of, I'm going to do that because I have it here. Okay. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 27, Whosoever eats or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks in judgment on himself. At this time, I'd like us to take a, uh, I'd like us to examine ourselves in prayer that we might consider and confess any unworthy manners in our life. And it's, it's interesting, I looked at that particular phrase, unworthy manners, and the few translations that I looked at, they all had unworthy manners. So let's uh, look at and examine ourselves, and in a few moments I'll, I'll start again. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians also, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord in the night, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ broken for you. We are struggling. Here we go. Do not feel alone if you're struggling to open it. There you go. There we go. I think I hear silence. I think I hear silence. Okay. Paul also to the Corinthians said, In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the blood of Christ spilled out for you. And lastly, Paul says, For all 
For as often as you eat and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to close this with a prayer uh, from a, uh, a book called The Valley of Visions. This is an old, this is a, it's not an old book, but it's a book of old Puritan prayers. And there's one on the Lord's Supper. And reflecting on today and thinking about it, I think we could all resonate within us. Uh, so I'm going to read that as our, as our closing prayer. Draw near, obey, extend the, hot, extend the hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink, testify before all men that we do for ourselves gladly in faith, reverence and love, receive our Lord. To be my life, strength, nourishment, joy, delight. In the supper, I remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite passion, agony, cross, redemption. And receive assurance of pardon, life, adoption, and glory. As the outward elements nourish my body, so may the indwelling spirit invigorate my soul until the day that I hunger and thirst no more and sit at the feet and sit at Jesus with his heavenly feast. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your words. I thank you that you do not leave us orphans, that you come to us, you love us, you died for us. Father, that by observing the Lord's Supper, we look back to your cross. We look back to the agony, which you did for us. We look Today, as the Holy Spirit dwells within us, enables us to do what we feel like we cannot do, but we have the power of the Spirit within us. And we look forward to that time, the second coming, Lord Jesus, when you come to us and take us home, and there will be that feast, the wedding feast of the Lion and the Lamb. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you that we stand together, that the Lord's Supper is taken as a body, and I thank you for our body here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.